Acts chapter 3, 1 through 11. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Thank you, Eric. Well, good morning, church. Happy spring. Spring has sprung, at least for a day. We enjoy it. I've been looking forward to this passage. Signs and wonders and healings. Oh, my. Following the first two chapters, which we've spent all fall encamped in, the pace actually starts to pick up. No promises that I'm going to match that pace, but we start to see, whereas the first two chapters are the, the birth of the church, just a handful of days, just over a week long, is described in those first two chapters. Now in these next chapters, these, the events really start to move, and over the course of the next dozen or so chapters, and then into Paul's ministry, years uh, pass, so large chunks of time. And so really we see this, this pace move, although chapters 3 and 4 are really one act, and we'll, we'll address it in a couple parts, but they're one act of a lame man being healed and the buzz that that causes amongst the crowds, amongst all the peoples, and, and especially amongst the Jewish leaders and within the temple. Luke describes for us what happened. Peter preaches on what that means. This morning as we just look at this first piece of what happened we need to ask the question, what does this mean for us? What, what, what difference does this account mean for us today? <clears throat> Remember, as we've said, Acts is really the description of the church, the early church, the normal Christian life. A man named Watchman Nee wrote a book with that title about 80 years ago. But I think Dr. Luke could argue copyright infringement. Because what Luke is describing here for the, this early church is the only reality they knew. This, this is what life looked like now that Jesus had come, lived, died, resurrected, and ascended. The Spirit of God has come and filled the church, really birthed the church, and filled it with power. This is their reality. This is now 
a new age. This is the reality of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. That's what Luke is describing for us. And really, in some ways, we start to see the fulfillment even here of what would happen when the Spirit came upon them in power to be witnesses. This becomes a sign. And again and again, the sign that the Spirit of the living God is still at work in and through them. Now, we, we, it's an interesting, there's an interesting way to outline all of Acts as the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. Jesus' final words to the apostles. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, that's the surrounding region, Samaria, which were people not like them. Actually, there was quite animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses even there. And then to the ends of the earth. And one way to outline the whole book is we actually see that happening. In the next four or five chapters, we see the witness of God's mighty work in Jerusalem amidst persecution, which scatters the disciples, the early church, and they start to go be witnesses throughout the region, throughout Judea. Under Philip's ministry in chapter 8, the gospel goes to Samaria and many are saved. And then really through Paul and Barnabas and Silas, Luke himself, the rest of the, the, the book of Acts is the ministry of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So there is this ripple effect that we see right through the book of Acts. Now the early church was devoted, and we spent the last few messages on that last piece in chapter 2, the picture of a healthy, vibrant, growing church. This church was devoted, these people were devoted to prayer and to the gathering together at the temple. They were Jews after all. So those same disciplines and rhythms hadn't changed. God hadn't changed. They were worshiping the same God. But lights had come on. Their eyes had been opened to God's redemptive plan in Jesus. And now as they were going to the temple with fellow Jews, they were still worshiping Yahweh, but now they are worshiping Jesus, the King, the Redeemer, the Savior. And they're looking for opportunity in the midst of that to give testimony, to be His witnesses for all who would listen. So they're still at the same, they're still at the same rhythms of daily prayer, daily gathering, with an opportunity looking for witness for the work of God. Well, on this specific afternoon, the ninth hour, their day started at about 6 a.m. That would be the first hour, sun up. So you fast forward nine hours, at some time in mid-afternoon, they are gathering again at the temple for a regular time of prayer. And at that point, the Holy Spirit interrupts their agenda. Peter and John are together, and the Holy Spirit interrupts them and has them meet this lame man. And I would say, more specifically, the Spirit gives them eyes to see Him. See, that's what happens. They, they see Him there. And Peter says, they, uh, says, Peter directed his gaze at them, and he told the man to look at them. There's this encounter of seeing that is so powerful. Because what does the rest of the passage tell us? This lame man... And if we'll fast forward and you were to look into chapter 4, he's, he's 40, over 40 years old. He's been lame since birth. And it says day by day, he must have had some good friends, they would bring him to the temple gate and set him there and he would remain all day asking for alms. That was his lot in life. That's all he had. So day in and day out, he is seated there 
we have to assume that Peter and John and the early church saw him, knew of him, every, maybe every day as they entered through this gate into the temple. But for whatever reason, this day, they saw him in a whole new way. The Holy Spirit interrupted their agenda. It was a good agenda, wasn't it? They were on their way to prayer with, an oppor- with, a, with a desire to be witnesses to the mighty work of God in and through Jesus and the power of the Spirit. That's a good agenda. But the Holy Spirit interrupts them, stops them, and it actually changes the whole course of their next days. They end up arrested because of the proclamation of, the, of what Christ had done to heal this man. That's the rest of the story. But imagine every day walking by, maybe, maybe they just, you know what it is to see someone on the streets begging, maybe the same person, but do you see them? I believe the Holy Spirit gave them these eyes to see, a illumination or a revelation. Those are the kind of words that describe the work of the Spirit, a guidance to what He wanted to do, His agenda that day. It clearly wasn't this man who did anything new. If Peter had to say, look at us, likely this man was just in the regular day-to-day rhythm, a, a shadow passes or the footsteps approach or how many were cut flocking to the temple and he's simply going through the motions, hat out, uh, part of his, his tattered clothing, creating a little uh, place to gather the coins that someone might throw his way without even turning their head. And he's through the regular rhythms of just alms, alms, perhaps not even just looking down. You can just see his picture of, he's not just broke, right? He's broken. This is his lot. He's not, he's not just humbled, he's humiliated. He has no other hope in life except for a meager handout. So you can see him there in that place in, the, in, in your mind's eye. And, and, and yet for whatever reason, Peter stops that day and says, look at us. He's been given eyes to see and a heart to engage. I love the contrast that Luke provides here, whether knowingly or not. At the end of chapter 2, the proclamation of Peter on Pentecost led to 3,000 people coming to put their faith in Jesus and being transformed and added to the church. The gospel comes and transforms a multitude, thousands. And in these very next verses, the gospel comes and transforms one life. The pursuit of God to one to one lost, broken, hurting man who wasn't even looking for Jesus. He wasn't even looking for healing. The gospel does not discriminate. I wrote this in the margin this morning, even just thinking of Martin Luther King weekend, just pondering again on the brokenness that is in our culture, the, the division that still, see, if it's not growing, it's continuing. And I just wonder if the, the right question, as we interact even with this passage, it's probably not, how do I discriminate? That's not a bad question. But I wonder if a better question is, as I wrote here, who, this is for me and maybe it's for some here, who do I overlook? Who do I walk past in my daily life and just not even see? I think we can all pray, God, give me eyes to see 
give me a heart that would engage. We say eyes to see, to see who you are, are drawing me to. Who do I just overlook? Who are the marginalized? Who are the hurting? Who are the oppressed? Who are the abused? Who are the discriminated? Who are they that I, I, just, I don't even see? I think a right follow-up question is, how often am I living in my agenda? Peter and John were willing to have their agenda changed. Not that they didn't end up going in to, to prayer, but they were willing to be interrupted. And I think that question we need to ask is, am I even living an interruptible life? Most of us live an agitated life. Something interrupts our, our plan or our agenda that day, and we get agitated. Someone cuts us off, slows us down, or gets in our way, and our response is agitation, not, I've been interrupted. How much of it is our day anyway, our time, our plans? We've created so few margins in our life, how could we possibly see the marginalized? Who do I overlook? Who do I not even see, Lord? And am I on your agenda? Am I living an interruptible life? That's not even this sermon. And if that's a message that you need to receive, engage it. I thought a worthy point to at least call out in tangent form. So here's this man, not just broke, broken, not just humbled, humiliated, and hopeless. Maybe we're more like this lame man than we would think or like to admit. Maybe we need to enter this story more as the lame man than as the Peter and John coming with the power of God. I'll plant that seed and maybe it'll germinate later. So the man looks up with expectation and perhaps just thinking, oh, here's, here's one. Money's coming. Maybe he's going to give me the, my daily need. Because very few would stop to engage. Here's two men that stop to engage. Peter says, look at us. Or does he say, look at us. Who are we? We have no silver. We have no gold. We're but fishermen. Well, we, we were fishermen. Well, we are fishermen, fishers of men. Never mind. Silver and gold, we have none. But what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And before the man could even answer, I'm assuming just, what would, what, what would you do? What would you expect? Stunned silence. Peter reaches and grabs his hand and pulls him up. Now imagine you, you meet a, a, a man who is in a wheelchair in Seattle uh, asking for a handout. And you were to take this course of action. You have a lawsuit on your hands, don't you? Rise up and walk, and you pull him up out of his seat. That's essentially what Peter is doing here. Because in the way this is being described, the healing has not taken place. Now we saw Peter step out of the boat in Matthew 14. Jesus, without really even thinking, Jesus, if it's you, have called to me. And so he steps out. Later he's aware of his surroundings and he begins to sink. He steps out in faith and walks on the water. We see the priests in Joshua's time being commanded to walk into the rushing Jordan River and it will stop up to give them passage. But until they put their feet 
carrying the ark into the water, it doesn't stop. There's this step of faith, confident faith. Faith takes risks. One of our core convictions. How do we live this out? This, again, this is description. This is not prescription. Don't, please, don't we go in and apply this directly. We begin with that. Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see. Teach me what you are doing. Then we can walk in that confident faith. And Peter had a sense here, clearly, that the Spirit wanted to do something in the power that was entrusted to them in the name of Jesus for this one man. And he entered into that and pulls him up. So, Peter's still impulsive, huh? He hasn't even changed. So this man, who has never walked in his life, Imagine just that moment of, here's a, who is this crazy guy now pulling me up? What is he doing? And in that moment, a strength and a feeling that he's never had, he can now feel his legs, a strength returns. He's never, those legs must have been so withered. They'd never borne any weight. They now strengthen the muscles, the sinews, the tendons, the joints, that maybe the ankles were deformed. They strengthen, they align. Not just that he can stand on his own. Not just that he can walk, but he is now testing it out. He is running and leaping. The healing that Jesus does in this man's life is not partial. It's not progressive. It's instantaneous. And it is full. And now the testimony goes forward. This man was there so often that he was known, recognized by everyone. says, Everyone saw this man who had been lame for his whole life, decades, running, jumping, leaping. That that does not happen. It created quite a stir and a buzz. The words that Luke gives are consistent with this early theme in Acts, aren't they? Wonder, amazement at what had taken place. This whole event reminds us of of John 9 when Jesus healed the man born blind and everyone knew him. Isn't that the man who's the blind man who's been begging? How can he now see? It created the same kind of buzz. There's a wonder and an amazement at the power of God that's consistent with the early chapters and will continue through all of Acts. Chapter 2, verse 43. We just saw this. Awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Here's a clear illustration of that. This is the normal Christian life. So what does this mean? Peter will preach and teach about what it means in their context. How do we bring it forward now? What does this mean for us today? Two main thoughts. Truths that I I believe lead to an application. Number one. The miraculous healing of Jesus continues. It is eternal. Jesus, though He has ascended at this time, He is not with them. The Spirit is. His ministry of healing and power continues through His people. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He has not changed. His ministry has not changed. His healing power and desire continues. It's clear and evident that it was at work while He was ministering on earth in the flesh, but now He is gone and it continues just as much. And as we see through the rest of Acts, it continues even through 
men who were not the original 12. Jesus had sent out 72 with supernatural power. The Apostle Paul himself, though Jesus met him, in, in a, you know, he communed with God in a, in a way that we'll get into and try to get our heads around, but he was not one of the original 12. He was the one persecuting the church. And if, if anyone, he had, more, he had greater supernatural healing gifting or power than any other. A mere shadow would cross someone and they would be healed. A, a handkerchief could be taken from his or from Peter's and the apostles and someone would be healed. The miraculous healing of Jesus continues. Isaiah 53. Look at the tenses of Isaiah 53. I guess many of us would be familiar with this passage. Speaking of the coming Messiah. Remember, this is 700 years prior to Jesus being born. Surely, listen to the tenses. Surely He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. Notice that shift. One, it's just incredible that Isaiah is writing in the past tense of something that Jesus has not, 700 years prior to the coming of the Messiah, it is done. The the healing work of God is done in Christ already. It's completed. It hasn't been experienced in a chronological timeline. God is eternal. He's not bound by tenses. But that switch at the end, wouldn't it make sense in keeping with the way that Isaiah is writing to say, and with his wounds we were healed. Just to keep with that same, it's, it's been done, which is true. But that shift in tenses, with, by his wounds we are healed. It brings such a, a personal, powerful moment of healing to us. And this is the ministry of Jesus that continues, and as we look in Acts 3, we see it, right? Jesus has lived, has died, has risen, has now ascended to heaven, and yet his ministry continues beyond even the disciples, as we said. Oh, here's a verse, Acts 6, 8, Stephen, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Okay, the ministry of healing continues. When Paul would write to the Corinthian church, he wrote a couple letters, well, a number. We have two of them, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, because we're full of creativity. And he wrote maybe 20 years after this event. He writes to the church, and he writes of the gifts of the Spirit to a church in a way that is clearly with, an, with, a, with a, a full belief that the gifts of the Spirit continue in the body. And he talks about many different gifts. And this isn't a, a sermon on, on those gifts. You could flip there. It's 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He's addressing the church in this way. He speaks of some supernatural type gifts. Gifts of healing. But also distinguished by, from gifts of the working of miracles. Which was Peter exercising here in this moment? Does it even matter? Both. Gift of healing, 
gifts of the working of, of miracles, of a, of a sign. Tempted to go down that, that trail. The point is, the ministry of Jesus continues in a healing, supernatural way. When Paul wrote that to the church, he was saying, this is good. Be eager for these gifts. Just keep the right focus, the right perspective. But the clear teaching and example of the early church and the apostles is a full belief that this ministry of Jesus continues until he returns. That that was their only reality. That's all they knew. We are not cessationists in the alliance. As my friend says, we are not sensationalists. And I say, that too. But what he means is, we are not cessationists. That the ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit did not cease at some point in history. After the apostles died, after that age of that early church, that there is one age following Christ's ascension and the coming of the, of the Spirit, there is one age and we're still in it until Christ our King returns. That the ministry of Jesus and the power and the working of the Spirit continues. Now its form and its frequency may change. I think that's what the church has wrestled with for hundreds of years. But we are always going to be living in our own perspective, by our own experiences, because many would say, well, the form and the frequency certainly seem to have lessened. Are we limited, though, by experience? We don't build doctrine or theology based on experience or perception, but on the Word of God and the teaching of Scripture. Now, the function of the gifts has not changed. So the form and the frequency of the work of the Spirit may vary. And by the way, the Holy Spirit of God has the prerogative on that. I think His people have a responsibility in it. But the function remains the same. The function of the supernatural work of the Spirit manifests in ways like this of healing, of power. The function is for the edification of the church. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. You're eager for these gifts. Good. But as you are, strive to build up the church. Edify. Encourage. That's the work of the Spirit. He's going to strengthen, build up, unify. Keep the right perspective. And, so, edification of the body and evangelization of the world. It is a sign. When the Spirit, whenever the Spirit shows up in a, in a Miraculous, supernatural type way, it is a sign pointing to something greater, something deeper, something more lasting than the physical. It points to the eternal. It points to the spiritual. The function remains the same. I wrote in here, why? Why has the form and frequency of the Spirit's supernatural manifest work seemed to lesson from that time in history and that's an entirely different sermon that that question has been debated for hundreds of years so i'll tee that up for your life groups this week life group leaders you're welcome just engage it come to an answer for that and then bring it back and we will 
discuss together and maybe write a book. But this, what, picture, what is being pictured here through Peter, through John, and through the early church is the normal Christian life as they knew it, as Luke described it. This is what it looks like. So we just spent two weeks looking at the, I would say, more normal functions, more natural functions. Now we see some supernatural. It's both. We just saw the spirit-filled believers coming together, eating meals together, being disciplined, giving generous, gen- generously to one another. That too is the normal Christian life, is the spirit-empowered life. To have that kind of unity one to another, to have that kind of friendship and relationship doesn't happen outside of the Holy Spirit's work. In, some, I, I, in my experience, I might say that is more amazing. That's more incredible evidence of the work of the Spirit when there is great unity and no division within a body of people so different from one another. The Holy Spirit is just at work in that way as He is in the miraculous healing touch upon a physical body. And praise God for both. This is the normal Christian life. Art, the founder of the Alliance Movement, A.B. Simpson, was so so certain of this ongoing, continuing work of of the Spirit, the ministry of Jesus in healing and in sanctification, that they were part of his fourfold gospel. Christ is Savior. He is our sanctifier. It's an ongoing ministry. He is our healer. And he, he meant physical and spiritual healer. And he is our coming king. That was the four folds of the gospel that A.B. Simpson preached. Here's A.B.'s own words regarding Christ, our healer. He says, divine healing is... Not the most important truth of the gospel, but it is a truth that God has shown to us. And holding it in its subordinate place, what he's saying is under Christ our Savior and our Sanctifier, but this his, Christ as Healer, under its subordinate place, let us hold it fearlessly and confess it manfully. Which I assume means bravely or courageously. I'm not sure we use that word today anymore, but that we would hold it, believe it, live in it. That's what the movement of the Alliance has believed for these last 130 years and has seen God work in powerful ways. Christ our healer, such an important message for A.B. Simpson, but it never superseded Christ as Savior and as Sanctifier. Simpson believed in the tenses of Isaiah 53, that it has been done. It has been accomplished. Christ has accomplished our healing. By His wounds, we are healed. But Simpson continually preached and wrote and taught that the greatest need we have, the greatest healing we need is from our own sin, is forgiveness in Christ and His salvation. That is the greatest need we have. And yet don't, for a minute, think that Christ wouldn't desire to heal us wholly, physically as well. And that's number two. So the ministry, the miraculous healing ministry of Jesus continues. Number two, the miraculous healing of Jesus is above all spiritual. That's the right place. And we know this in so many ways. Let me articulate a few of those. When God heals physically, it is always a sign pointing to His greater power and greater desire to heal us spiritually. To heal the thing that will last eternally, our spirit and soul. His desire is to heal us physically. 
But whenever He does, it's to point us to that greater ministry, that greater healing that He alone provides. The ministry of Jesus clearly articulates this, just in evidence of the work that He did. When we walked through John's Gospel, we saw that again and again. His work, all of it, the signs, the wonders, the healings, were to point to the work He was doing to redeem man, to save and to heal spiritually. I think the best example of it, likely, is, do you remember the friends that brought the paralyzed man on that mat to Jesus? There was a crowd at the, at the house, and they couldn't get in. They even went up onto the roof and had to dig away the tiles to lower him down. How, how they did that was pretty amazing. Faith and perseverance. And he comes down before Jesus, interrupts the whole thing. Jesus looks at him, looks at the friends up there on the roof, hey, and, and he says, son... Your sins are forgiven. That's not why they had come. They had come either at, at this man, their friends, urging, or be, I mean, what was he going to do? He wasn't going to stop him anyway. Maybe they were just really good friends. Let's bring him to Jesus. Maybe Jesus will heal him. We know, we, we've been hearing those testimonies. We believe he can do it. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And that caused much grumbling amongst the crowd, amongst the Pharisees. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who does he think he is? This guy's blaspheming. Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, knowing their thoughts, turns and says, what's more incredible? What's more amazing? What's, what's more within the power of God? To, to forgive sins or to heal this man's paralysis? But so that you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, rise up and walk. Jesus, and he, and he does, He's healed physically, he's healed physically, he's healed spiritually. Jesus shows that that physical healing was lesser. What was greater was his full spiritual healing. And his desire was complete wholeness. So there's such a picture of the right priority. You know, these bodies that we have, you only have one. Paul calls them an earthly tent. Any campers out there? Anyone like to camp and would admit it? Okay, like tent, like in a tent camping. Have you ever, have you ever had a, a tent problem, a pole broken, a, a rip in the side? Have you ever needed to replace your tent? Okay, if you haven't, you, have, you don't really camp, so we're kind of catching you here. Paul calls our bodies an earthly tent. He didn't have the Coleman tents, but I mean, they're just going to get worn out. By use, in the weather, in the elements, they're going to get rips and tears and they're going to need to be replaced. They don't last. These earthly bodies we have will not last. And some of you know that all too well. That's your reality right now. You feel like that worn tent that needs to just be cast out. And no matter how much we go to the gym or the doctor or how many vitamins we take or how much sleep we get at night or how much we try to mask the signs with creams and colorings and lifts and tucks and sucks and needles and scalpels. and We are but dust returning to the dust we came from. And now, you are thoroughly depressed. Some of you thought, I was feeling pretty good coming in today. <laughs> now that you mention it, others of you are just going, I'm here again, and it was hard. Here's your hope, because we don't leave you there. The gospel doesn't leave us there. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, though we've got these earthly tents, 
bodies, then they will pass away. We do not lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away. But our inner self, soul, spirit, is being renewed day by day. Perpetually renewed. It does not weaken. For this light momentary affliction, if you feel you have any affliction, any pain, for them they are facing suffering and persecution, but any affliction, it's light and it's momentary with an eternal perspective. It's light and it's momentary because as, as we move, as we go through life, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are transient. They're, they're going to fade. They're like a mist. They're going to be gone. But the things that are unseen are eternal. That's your hope. And that's the perspective that God's people have. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. The primary work of Christ and the Holy Spirit is spiritual. And it's always promised. It's guaranteed. Does that mean we should not seek physical healing? No. We are exhorted to do so by God's Word and by the example of His people. That the healing ministry of Christ continues. It will not cease until He returns. We are to seek it. Here's what the Apostle James teaches us. And watch how linked, I'm sure some of you are very familiar with this passage, but it is absolutely, the healing that he's talking about is inseparably both physical and spiritual. See it here. James 5.13, is any among you suffering? I know that's true for some of you, physically. Is anyone among you sick? Verse 14, let him call the elders of the church, let them pray over him or her, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. That's a tricky translation. Some of your translations would say, will make the sick person well, healed. But there's a wrestling with, what, is, what exactly is James talking about? It's clearly physical infirmity, suffering, illness. But he's linking it together here with the spiritual healing that, that we need. Faith will save. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Incredible promises. And therefore, confess sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. See how intertwined they are. We need the full healing ministry of God in all ways. The confession of sin, the forgiveness of sin, being saved, being lifted up as the primary physical is the primary healing that Christ brings. The physical is secondary. Often they are linked together. And is there, nonetheless, Christ our healer. He has accomplished our healing on the cross through the atonement and through resurrection. Our healing is accomplished. At minimum, His promise to you is not yet. That's minimum. You are seeking or needing a physical healing touch that no pill and no doctor can solve. And you're seeking it from another, a greater physician. 
you're seeking the right person. At minimum, His answer to you is not yet. Because your healing has been accomplished. The past tense of Isaiah 53. From God's perspective, you are whole physically. He sees you that way. You just haven't experienced it yet. And every healing we experience physically in this life, if He would touch us, sustain us, heal us fully or partially, is all temporary. Until our full healing comes when we pass from this life to the next. That's also the promise of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and following, Paul continues, he says, We will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. It must happen. This body of flesh, this earthly tent, must die in order to be renewed, recreated, resurrected. That's what Christ promised and accomplished. It is finished, it is done, and it will be yours. That's the hope that we have. So this is our promise. This is our hope, especially for those sick and suffering and lame. And are we not all lame? Easy for you to say. I don't, I don't see myself that way at all. You're lame, but not... No, okay. We are all lame. I said, maybe we can germinate this seed that I planted at the beginning. When we look at the healing that came to this lame man, we need to not just say, wow, the love of God so deep, so specific that it would come for this one man who wasn't even, he wasn't even looking. We don't even know what kind of faith he had. Peter gave it to him and pulled him up. Man, that's amazing. Now, that's good response. Wonder, amazement, good response. But our engagement with it must go deeper. We must see ourselves as the lame man, as no different. All of us are like him prior to meeting Christ. Some of you are still in that place. Some of you need to be reminded that you are just like him. That we are but poor beggars needing another to intervene on our behalf when often we're not even looking for it, let alone expecting it. We're holding our hand out for so much less, a meager pittance that the world can offer when Jesus offers us something so much greater. Sin has so twisted and marred life like it likely conformed his ankles and weakened his legs, sin has done the same to us. We cannot live as we were created to live. We cannot walk or run or leap. And if we try, we fail. We have no means to do it. We have no way to pay for it. We are not worthy of it. Ironically, we are just outside the temple, just outside the dwelling place of God, And yet the door is open to us and we cannot go in. Nor do we even look to go in. We need another to come on our behalf and raise us up, to lift us up, to heal us, to restore us, to make the way to Jesus open. Jesus has made the way to God open. 
And even if we're not looking for it and not asking for it, although we're gathered here, I believe we're looking and longing for God to do something more in our life. It's by grace alone. This is an example of pure grace. That This man was just lame, broken, hurting, humbled. This is his lot, hand out. He needed the grace of God to come and meet him and to raise him up. Ephesians 2.1 You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He's made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up. When Peter preaches on what this means in the next portion, he calls Jesus the author of life. Love that title. The one who has created all things certainly has the power and the desire to renew, restore, redeem all things, to make whole and to heal. We were reading, and I was flipping into Psalm 9 this morning in our prayer time, and here's a passage that I came to. A, a prayer of David. I thought it just resonated. He said, Be gracious to me, O Lord. This is not up here. It's Psalm 9, 13, and 14. Be gracious to me, O Lord. You see my affliction. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that I may rejoice in your salvation. See, David saw himself way before it ever happened, like a mere beggar, broken, at the gates, and that his Savior, he is desperate for, to raise him up, to lift him up, to heal, to restore, to renew, to save. And this needs to be our longing, our awareness. Have you taken hold of the hand that is being extended to you even today? Your, the promise of your healing is secure. Jesus said, John 6, 40, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. I will raise Him up. That's the promise of your healing. What healing do you desperately need this morning? It is first spiritual. What is broken? What is divided? What needs healing? What needs forgiveness? Do you need saving? Are you lost? That hand is reaching out today. The way we respond is many. It's spiritual. It's through prayer. It's through confession. That's between you and the Lord. It can be with others. It makes it often more powerful and accountable. The table is open as you come. Even if it's for the first time, you are welcome to come to the table to receive the bread and the juice representing what Christ has done what he has accomplished, your spiritual healing is done. It is full. Receive it. Live in it. Walk in it. It matters not the level of your faith. The sacrifice has been offered. You may come. But I know that some of you could use a physical healing touch. And we believe that God desires to heal physically. We have oil. John and I, in a role of elder, would love to pray with you even this morning. 
It's not weird. It's faithful to Scripture. Call the elders of the church. Let them anoint you with oil. A little dab on the forehead. We're not told what that looks like. So we're not getting dumped on here. If you think you need that, we'll go get some more oil. We anoint. We pray. There's nothing extra spiritual in the elders of the church. We are fulfilling a role. The work of healing happens in Jesus and by the Spirit. If He heals you physically, partially, fully, progressively, we've seen all that. It's always a sign to the greater healing He's doing. Don't come without being open to the healing He wants to do in spirit and soul. Unless they know how to do that or what that looks like, just be open to what He wants to do. We would love the privilege to pray with you. We believe He desires to heal. We pray in accordance with your healing already being fulfilled. We want to be a people that are more surprised when God says no or not yet than when he, he did something. Can you believe it? We want to be surprised. You keep seeking. You keep praying. You keep asking. And he keeps saying no. What did he say to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. Receive that. It's incredible. But will we be a people that are surprised when he continues to say no, though we know our healing has been accomplished? I want to have that kind of faith. That's the ministry that we see in Peter, in John, in Paul, and the disciples. They would have been surprised if God kept, and they were, when God kept saying, no, I will not intervene in this situation. I have that hope and that belief and that joy for us that his healing is for us. And regardless of what his answer is to you today in a physical healing, his answer to you today is yes and full for your spiritual healing.